bringing you the latest research, tools, and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy. It's Talk Healthy Today. Here's Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Foodie Friday. I've got the perfect book for you, Where Chefs Eat, a guide to chef's favorite restaurants, what to eat around the world, the best-selling restaurant guide. And this is perfect timing because I'm going back to New York soon. Uh, a couple months ago, I was on the Howard Stern Wrap-Up Show talking about my book, Clean Eating, Dirty Sex, and I'm super excited to be going back to talk with the guys and talk all things Howard. And so now I usually have my heart set on this one Mexican restaurant, but I think I'm going to expand my horizons thanks to our guest, Joshua David Stein. He contributes to the New York Magazine, New York Times, and the Sunday Times, and he edited this wonderful book. Hello there, Joshua. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, what's a Mexican restaurant you like going to here? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I'm from California, and so I've been on the East Coast. It'll be 18 years at the end of this month. And one of my biggest complaints is finding really good Mexican food here, although recently I have. So, But when I first moved here, I was just miserable. I was in, I went to Hell's Kitchen. I was like on a high from being on the show, and I sat next to Gary Del Bate and John Hine. And the whole, it was so much fun. I'm such a big fan. And I'm just walking around. I hadn't eaten all day. And I was just like, there's so many places I couldn't decide. And so I went into this place called Yakuba. I hope I'm spelling it right. Y-A-C-U-B-A. And I ate the food and I was in heaven. I felt like I was back in California. It was fresh. It was delicious. It was the spices were perfect. It was the thread of the Mexican flavors was there. It was really phenomenal. Have you ever eaten there or heard of it? No, but now I've Googled it. It's Tacuba Cantina Mexicana on uh, yes. 802 Ninth Avenue, and I will be going there for lunch. So thank you. Oh, you should meet me when I'm in New York. We'll have to talk about that. Uh, but at any <laughs> rate, uh, this this book is fun. And my gosh, I mean, there are so many incredible restaurants. I, what was it like putting this all together? Well, the book is um, made up of the recommendations of over 650 chefs. So there's over 4,500 restaurants around the world. Oh um, I'm the New York, I mean, I'm the North and South America editor. But even then, it was pretty daunting and very involved with spreadsheets. There's a lot of Excel oh uh, spreadsheets involved <laughs> and a lot of emails and also a lot of great conversations with chefs. So. It was, uh, That's, what's the word? It was pragmatically daunting, but also rewarding. Oh, that's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, I, I, I'm holding this thing and it's, it's heavy and it's thick and it's really incredible. Let's talk about some of those conversations. What were some of the most interesting ones that you had? And tell us who they were with. Um, I think overall, I would say the takeaway it's not just one particular yeah. conversation, but what I saw, what I sure. witnessed talking to a bunch of chefs is how generous chefs are with other chefs. Basically, mm. the book is these chefs giving their time to talk about eight other restaurateurs, eight other chefs. You don't always think of chefs being That's so nice. altruistic. It is a cutthroat business. But whether they're recommending people who might be considered their rivals, if it's a fine dining chef recommending another fine dining restaurant, oftentimes what happens, because some of the genres are like best late night or best breakfast or neighborhood restaurant or local favorite, they're recommending restaurants that don't have their own PR. So they don't get shouted mm -hmm. out as much as they should. And just how generous they were 
about, you know, spreading the love around. The other thing that I struck me is how passionate chefs are about breakfast. I always thought breakfast was, yeah, I still think it to some extent is one of those meals which are, which isn't very challenging because you want to be challenged, you know, at like eight in the morning. Yeah. You, know, you just want pancakes <laughs> and bacon or grits or whatever. Um, yeah. But chefs, I think, love breakfast. Not always at eight in the morning, usually around like 10 or 11. But that's one of the, the questions that I loved asking and I loved hearing the responses for. Uh, my favorite type of restaurant is, you know, a kind of cheapish diner with a counter and like 12 seats or whatever. And those are the kind of places that serve breakfast. So whether it's, um, you know, whether it is like a coffee house or a legit diner, there's one in Boston that um, Ken Oranger recommended called Mike City Diner. And it just sounds so great to me as that is what you want a restaurant to be friendly, a sense of community, good coffee, you know, bacon. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> exactly. You're so right. Well, I was reading through some of these and I love this. I'm looking at this restaurant in March in Montreal in Quebec, Lawrence restaurant and the description by uh, David Pelazari. Mark Cohen's food is straightforward, very honest and consistently delicious. The service is professional and he just, just the way he talks about it, uh, the quality of the, of the products he sources is very evident and English traditionalist using Quebec's best to make his food shine. Like they're really, really nice, nice descriptions. And you can, like you were saying earlier about chefs talking about other restaurants in such glowing terms. Yeah, it's nice. Leaving that competitive edge, because, right? Yeah. Yeah, but they know they know what they're talking about. And, you know, it's like when you're, you know, you're a radio host and you hear another host yeah. who's doing a really good job, you know exactly what they're doing that's right. And so to be able to put that into words, I think, is helpful for helpful and interesting to anyone. Same thing with chefs. They really... Um, they know about service. They know about the provenance of the of the food. You know, they got it. They know what's good. And and to be honest, I was kind of the the. This is the third edition of the book. So I didn't come up with the idea. This guy Joe Warwick did. He's an amazing editor in the UK. He did Europe for this edition. It's the first time they have a US editor. I will say that that is a brilliance, in my opinion, of this concept. Is you're taking the knowledge the hard-earned knowledge of people who work incredibly hard six days a week, 16 hours a day, who don't throw away meals, who care about meals, and you take all of their picks, and then that's what we represent, and that's what we can give to the reader. Um, well, which I think You did a heck of a job. Oh, it's so yeah. worthwhile. Now, do people ask how many of these restaurants have you been to in the book, and what was that experience like? Why... Um, unfortunately, although maybe fortunately for my waistline, um, I haven't been to <laughs> that many of them. Of course, I've, you know, I write about food and travel. So, uh, especially in New York, I've probably been to all of them, but a lot of this is just coming from the chefs. So it was my job to curate mm -hmm. the chefs that we reached out to, and then to either write those small reviews that you see in the book or pick the quotes from the chefs that I thought were salient and present that, but not really to go for me to eat them. Because the point isn't, hey, I think this place is good. The point is, hey, these people who know even better than me think this place is good. 
Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. See, I love to eat. So (laughs) can I go to all of them? That would be very exciting and and very costly, obviously. So I want to know, when did you first develop this this love for writing and for food? Oh, well, I've eaten food since I was born. Um, (laughs) That's a poorly worded question on my part. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Go on. Uh, Also, my mom was a terrible cook, so I was driven to restaurants early in life. Um, but I guess, you know, I moved in, I moved to New York in 99 and I've always been enamored with restaurants and the restaurant scene here. And it took me a very long time to marry writing with restaurants and food, but I finally found my niche. You know, I think restaurants are this beautiful mix of commerce and art and, community and they are such a transient thing it's like you know i've been in new york now for what um 20 almost 20 years and you go to a place and you think it's amazing it's so warm this is really where it's at two months later you go there's no one there a year later you go it's closed two years later it's another restaurant and another scene happening and there's something so touching and I love so much about the transient nature of restaurants, but even then how wonderful it is when you're there. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Although I have to say, I was very disappointed a few years ago. I was in uh, New York for something else and there was this restaurant called Gust Organics and I loved it. It was so good. And they, they had, everything was local and they had grass fed organic meats and it was very paleo. And I just, it was my favorite. I didn't even go anywhere else. And then I went to look it up and because I was going to meet a friend and it closed and I did some research. It turns out that the guy who owned it ended up getting involved with this woman who was a vegan and she convinced him to make the restaurant vegan and then it went under. And I think the reason it was popular for people like me, I don't eat meat out unless it's grass fed. I know I'm sounding like a big snob, but that's just how I am. And so it was such a disappointment. It's like, no, no, but that was like the the goal of it. <laughs> There's other vegan restaurants around, yeah. but it's hard to find a nice grass fed organic steak. But yeah, that was a bummer. But see, if that was still there, but I wouldn't that, have discovered that, that the is, Cuba. <laughs> but that is the thing about restaurants. You get all of human yeah. drama in one space, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fleeting. That's a great book. Love in New York, food in New York, everything's fleeting. I like that. You know, I am actually outside of Boston. I have to try that Mike's Diner. Is that what it was called? Did you say? Yeah, Mike's Diner. Boston. Yeah. 14 Washington Street. All right. I'll have to head over there. That is so nice. So what about writing? Because you're obviously, you know, writing for these different New York Magazine, I mentioned, New York Times, Sunday Times. And then being an editor is, is a little different experience, obviously. Talk to us about how you enjoy the writing process, how that differs from being an editor. I always like the, you know, the minutiae of all that. Well, so there's, I think it's hard to, I guess what I'll say is, working on Where Chefsy was editing, um, but and writing, I guess, all at once, but because it wasn't really my text that much other than the reviews, it really was a lot of just outreach and a lot of coordinating of various, I guess, you know, talent contributors. Writing on my own um, as a writer for publications, 
I realize how important it is to have an editor who understands you and yeah. who likes your work. Um, <laughs> because I want to be free as a writer to hone my voice as much as possible and explore my voice. And I kind of rely on an editor a little bit to rein it back in, you know? Um, yeah. Now being an editor on the other, on the side of, you know, I also edit magazines and, you know, other things. I understand that as an editor, you want voice, but you also need some meat on the bones. It can't all be voice. So, you know, just looking for, you can, you can gussy things up and craft or shape things how you want. At the end of the day, you still need an idea. You need a theory, you need a thesis, and you still need detail, and you still need facts. So it's kind of, how do you create a piece that has those three things, that is not dry, but it is factual and also useful? I think the other thing as an editor that you don't always feel as a writer especially in these days, it's like you need to have a reason for someone to read what you're writing. Like maybe it's that your language is so good. Maybe it's that the story itself is so good. Maybe it's useful. Whatever the utility is to the reader, it needs to have some worth. So it's balancing all of those things. This book, Where Chefs Eat, is just useful. I mean, I also happen to think it's um, interesting, but at the end of the day, it's something that people pick up and use to eat or to keep their door open or like whatever the, whatever the reason, whatever the use is. More from my guests coming up. But first, I want to talk about something that I love, Liquid IV for the health-conscious everyday athlete. Liquid IV fuels tough workouts. It helps prevent cramping and fatigue, promotes healthy post-workout recovery. And what I love the most is it's made with clean ingredients and you've got portable powder packs. The other thing that I love about it and that I find so incredible is that you are going to get the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water. That is some great news. It also contains five essential vitamins, including more vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. And I love Liquid IV. I know you will too. And right now my listeners get 20% off anything at liquid-iv.com. That, again, that's liquid-iv.com. Now be sure to enter my promo code TALKHEALTHY to get your savings and start getting better hydration. Again, go to liquid-iv.com for 20% off. Use the promo code TALKHEALTHY. Don't wait, get hydrated today. Well, I think uh, I'm going to have to be able to find a way to spend more time in New York and, and other places that have some fabulous restaurants. I mean, you've got places all over the world in this book. What were some of the most interesting things that you learned from doing the book? I think that, so there's 84 new cities in the United States alone that are in this mm. new edition. I mean, it's, it's substantially um increased in terms of domestic representation. There's 1,283, I think, restaurants in the U.S. What I learned is how rich the restaurant scene is across the country in cities that we never think about, or, you know, I shouldn't say never. Me being in New York, thinking that New York is the center of the universe, um, Mm -hmm. I I hadn't really given enough 
thought or credit to places like Pittsburgh or Phoenix or Detroit or Indianapolis or I don't know, Baltimore or Savannah or any of these smaller cities. But what I realized quickly, because when you ask one chef for eight recommendations, you get deep into a city quickly. I realized in all of these places are tremendously ambitious chefs. Maybe not ambitious in the sense of trying to get a Michelin star, which I think is a useless metric anyway, but they're ambitious and they're connected and they're driven and the food is amazing. And there's a real ecosystem of restaurants and farmers and clientele, frankly, that is not given its proper credit. So I was really excited to be able to do that. What, who are some of the chefs for the people who haven't seen the book? And they definitely should that uh, are in this book, giving the recommendations and the reviews. They're everyone from Daniel Hum, who has the number one restaurant in the world called Levin Madison Park here in the city. Uh, Massimo Batora, who I think has a number two restaurant called Osteria Francescana in Modena, Italy. Um, Virgilio Martinez, who's a famous Peruvian chef. And then, you know, in terms of Boston, for instance, you have uh, Ken Oranger, Tony Mouse, uh, Joanne uh, Chang. Let's see who else. Uh, Matthew, I never know whether it's Matthew Godet or Matthew Goddard, but I think it's Matthew Godet. Mm. Um, yeah. David Chang, who I guess has a place in Boston now. I'm not sure, but um, oh yes, I believe so. I can't remember the name, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, Joshua Lewin, I think. Jason Bond from Bondier, which in Cambridge, which I love as a place. Um, just a lot of them. I mean, there's so many chefs that participated. I feel like putting this together, it was every chef I ever heard of in my life. I got the email at least sometimes talk to, sometimes meet up with. So from that sense as a food writer, it was tremendously rewarding to work on this project. I bet. I mean, that's that's something that with this job, you know, I've spoken to a lot of incredible people. Uh, Henry Winkler is such a mensch. I mean, you look him up in the dictionary and there's a, per, you know, under mensch and there's a picture of him. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> and we were supposed to do a 10 minute interview and he spent 45 minutes with me. And then he let me transcribe the interview because I I edited an anthology uh, with another woman, easy to love, but hard to live with about people with invisible brain based disorders. So whether it's autism spectrum, ADHD, dyslexia, um, mental health issues, mental illness. And so I shared his story in the book, and that was such a thrill. And and it is different the writing and, and the editing and the editing process. But at any rate, I, I understand have, that. Like, does he have? He has dyslexia. Something? He has dyslexia, and his uh. parents called him a dumb dog growing up, and they treated him like dirt, and they said he was stupid. And yeah, it's tough. And I have a daughter wow. on the spectrum with ADHD and dyslexia, and so you know, I know a lot. <laughs> and so it was something that was yeah. important to me. And it, but that that feeling though of oh my gosh, I get to talk with somebody who I so greatly admire and who has done so much. And it's just incredible. So it's, it's such a good feeling. You know, how do you feel about some of those cooking shows? Because I have to be honest, until like Top Chef and some of the other ones, I wasn't really fam that familiar with chefs. It wasn't in my, really in my, I'm sorry, it's not in my existence, but it wasn't something I focused on unless they were like healthy chefs. Like I have hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks from you know, chefs who are into healthy living, because that's what I do. But it, it opened me up to all different types. And I especially love Top Chef and Top Chef Masters. Are you a fan at all? Or what do you think of those shows? Um, well, I have a couple of things to say. 
One. Okay. <laughs> um, I also am the co-host of, I guess I'm the host of the Fatherly Podcast. I'm the editor-at-large at a website called Fatherly about being a father. And we have oh, this podcast, yes. and I will say the thing that I like is the same thing that you like, is I just get to have conversations with interesting people. And that Definitely. I get paid for that and that people listen is like <laughs> still amazing to me after doing it for uh, two seasons. About Top Chef uh, and the celebrityfication of chefs, I think generally it's a good thing that young people and even not young people are looking at being a chef as a career that they want to pursue because it allows artistic expression it like opens up another realm of artistry. And I think that's great. I am not so enthused about this idea of a chef being an artist apart from pleasing the customer. Like, and also because of the way the kitchens work about chefs who don't, I don't want to say pay their dues because I don't believe that you have to pass any bar in order to be a wonderful chef. But I do think that there's something to be learned and something to be said for working on the line at a place, working through the brigade system, which is how kitchens are organized, before you go off on your own. And I think a lot of chefs, because they've seen Top Chef, because they it's popularized in this world, what they don't show on those programs is the years spent in other people's kitchens just working, head down, working, learning technique, yeah. learning how a kitchen works before you go off on your own. I think you can see that in the in the sense that so many restaurants are opening all the time. Some are really creative, but a lot are failing too. Because to go from being a chef to being a restaurateur is a completely different skill set and something you really need to work on and have good partners and have experience doing. Yeah, I, I I totally understand what you're saying. And and I also think it makes it seem like, oh, I'm going to become a chef and I'm going to become a celebrity. And you don't see the hard work and the grunt work and the way they worked, had to to listen to other people like said, in their kitchens and they weren't their own boss and they didn't own their own restaurant. And even the, the difficulty of having a restaurant, the responsibility and the pressure and the stress. Uh, you know, I thought of the movie First Night when you talked about, you know, cooking to please your customers. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite movies. I'm assuming you liked that movie as well, just from our conversation. Wait. It's such a good film. Big Night, right? Uh, um, it's called. I think it's called Big Night, isn't it? You know, with... Um, yeah, yeah, Big Night with Stanley Tucci. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And he gets in the fight yep. with his brother because his brother wants it to be... He won't make the spaghetti the way the customer orders or whatever because that's not really... that. It's, it's not real. All right. Before I let you go, where can we uh, hear your podcast, get your book, and give us all the, the good stuff so we can find you on the Okay. Way. I'll do the, the quick rundown. Um, the Fatherly <laughs> Podcast is available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Where Chef's Eat is available at your local bookstore or Amazon.com. In June, I have another kid's book coming out called Brick, Who Found Herself in Architecture, which will be available on Amazon at Barnes & Noble and at your local indie bookstore. And you can follow more of me <laughs> if you aren't sick of me yet by um, going to my website, joshuadavidstein.com. I love that voice. I have to try that. You can find <laughs> It's Your Home. You can find Talk Healthy Today. I'll try that my as a matter of fact. Well, I want to thank... 
everyone for listening. You can find Talk Healthy Today, Talk Fitness Today, Naturally Savvy, It's Your Health, by going to www.itsyourhealthwithlisadavis.com. Be sure to check me out on Twitter at HealthMediaGal1. Thanks for listening and stay well.